and welcome to the First Baptist Victoria podcast. Today's sermon was recorded live on Sunday, June 11th, 2023 by Pastor Ben Rosenberger. So you guys just sang something here just a little bit ago. I took a picture of it. It says, there's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a mountain that can't move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. I'm going to ask you right now, do you believe that? You had not heard my sermon yet. Right? You believe that? Because yeah! there was a decision to just be easy and simple or to say, no, 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 we need to continue what me and the teens went through because I don't want this to just be, okay, great, great weekend. Whoa, you're going back in. What's going on at home? Where are we at in our relationships? So I'm going to end where I began with the teens. You can open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. The beginning opportunity that I had to teach to these teens Friday morning when they were still like, I can't believe my parents made me go, right? And they took my phone, right? Yeah, they want to see you guys. They also want their phones, right? That was all going on, and we talked about something important. My name is Ben Rosenberger, but more important about me is I'm in Christ. One of the parts of being in Christ is something that God has done for me is I am forgiven. I'm forgiven. And so we talked about the potential of being forgiven. And many of us are Christians and we've embraced being forgiven. And so we started a conversation about Not only did Jesus on the cross in Luke 23, 34 say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they've done. Then we moved into, it's not just Jesus. In fact, the first disciple, Stephen, was murdered, and he also made a a decision to forgive Saul, who would become Paul, the majority author of the New Testament. And what I said to the teens, and I'm not trying to rehash that old sermon, was he experienced radical, the radical power of forgiveness. Our faith embraces something radical, to forgive even the craziest of people who have done things. Because Paul was a murderer. In being murdered, Stephen, like Jesus, forgave him. He said, Father, forgive him. Beyond that, the entire church that had to worship with this apostle, hear this apostle come and teach them new, likely family members who he murdered. And yet they embraced him as a teacher, an apostle. They worshiped with him. That is radical forgiveness. And the foundation of our faith that we're reading and we're hearing about And it's an immolation of Christians being like Christ. We claim that term, Christian, it means being like Christ. And that's not easy. No one said it was easy. And so I told them, we read verse 31. Sorry, sorry, verse 32 is our time together. It said, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, As God in Christ forgave you, the discussion was about forgiveness, and the discussion was about, have you ever considered how sinful we are? 
Because you see, you won't forgive if you think you're not sinful. If you don't think there was a lot that went into having to forgive you because you're, you're pretty good. You haven't sinned that much. You're not aware or self-aware of how much you sin. Let me just say it. The thoughts in your head, the way you've treated people, how people, you might be offending or saying this or doing this, and you have bitterness all over your heart, and you're not even self-aware of what's going on, but God is. Okay? And so the reality is we are extremely sinful, and so I asked them a question, are you in Christ? And we got to explore that our whole time together. Are you in Christ? The offer is forgiveness. The offer is to be forgiven, and today, to go further from that first time, the question is this, do you accept your forgiveness in Christ? Do you? So that's for all of us. Do we accept it? And then my further question would be, do you appreciate it? Do you appreciate that God has forgiven much? It's about to get hard, right? If so, then you should extend forgiveness as Christ did. If we appreciate what he did, if we've accepted that forgiveness, if we've seen God forgiven much, then the question becomes, do we extend forgiveness as Christ did? God, through Paul, says we only have two possible responses when it comes to those who sinned against us. Here we go. Forgiveness or bitterness. We have a choice, and I'm not going to make it as simple as that. We're going to look at seven things that forgiveness is not, is and forgiveness is not. We're going to go deeper. So I'm just surfacely saying something right now that we're going to engage deeper to get an understanding of what forgiveness isn't, what it isn't, and be safe, or is not, and be safe. This is not a forgive everybody who's abusing you actively. That's not what I'm saying. We will get there. But as a base level, there is a decision because ultimately you can forgive and not be reconciled and still not trust a person and have no relationship with them depending on what they're doing. But forgiveness is about you choosing to forgive. See, the radical power is choosing to forgive even if that person and you never get reconciled. It's for you to not be bitter. It's for you to change the dynamic of the relationships as far as you're concerned. It's, it's choosing this. And so my, my statement to you is there's a decision to make, forgiveness or bitterness. And we're making a lot of decisions with a lot of people and a lot of relationships that we're either pressing into forgiveness or we're pressing into bitterness. And many times we got bitterness for years and years and years and a lot of complicated relationships because we never chose forgiveness. And now that relationship is years of bitterness. Amen? All right, you got names, you got people, you got relationships, they're all flooding into your mind. So, bitterness. Paul was clear that if bitterness isn't exchanged for forgiveness, it escalates and it becomes increasingly devastating to both you and others. And he lists it here in verse 31 in chapter 4. He says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And then we went into the verse we studied together. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. Do you and Bergace, I came up here and said, I'm Ben Rosenberger. What I want you to know about me is I'm forgiven. That's an identity thing. 
So with that, I've embraced the life of, as God has forgiven me, I have a choice here with people, forgiveness or bitterness, because it can escalate to what he just describes here. Wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, throughout all sorts of relationships, because we've decided, we've decided not to forgive and to move towards those kind of relationships. So we have the opportunity of fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, or bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. My question to you is in your home lives, in your relationships with your teens, in your relationships with your spouse, an important relationship in your lives, what is it more like? Is it more bitter, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, or is it more love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control of the relationships in your family? What seems more to be bearing fruit? The malice, the anger, the wrath, the talking down, talking bad, or is it more on the other lines? Man, there's peace, there's joy, there's forgiveness, there's love, there's compassion. What's going on in our lives? What's going on in our homes? What's going on in our relationships? Where are we? Are we on the forgiveness side? Or are we more on the bitter side? That's my question to all of you. Because it's great to go home, go to retreat. It's great to worship God. It's great to feel the presence of God moving in people you don't even know. You've never met. You've met for the first time. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's like, whoa, shows up. And we're like, yes. Well, you just saw this. That happened day one. Holy Spirit was moving because people were embracing each other. People were loving each other. And the Holy Spirit was doing some work. But we're back to reality. We still have choices to go home And what's going on in homes? What's going on in our relationships? And hey, spouses or whoever you're living with, what are your teens seeing? We need some forgiveness. We claim I'm forgiven. Are we entering into forgiving relationships? Are we working through problems and difficulties instead of turning into wrath and then it getting worse and it turning into bitter and slander and anger and all the things that are associated with the choice of bitterness versus forgiveness and working through reconciling relationships? What is it that's going on? I don't know, but I know I want to see God do a work as I taught the students about forgiveness in terms of Jesus has forgiven you, I want them to also embolden them to forgive other people. And I want us as people of God to join in with this amazing radical opportunity to be forgiven people who forgive others and who work on ourselves, work on our relationships so we can fully look like Christians to the world. When they see our family, they see something different than the rest of what this world is full of. And it starts in our relationships at home. Amen? And it starts with being honest. It starts with admitting our things that we've brought to the table in our own bitterness. You can't fix another person. You can only go to God and repent of you and your heart and your actions. I'm a father. I'm a pastor. Guess what? You can be wrong sometimes. And sometimes you just have to say sorry. You have to go to God and say, forgive me. Change me. I'm turning more bitter than I am being full of your spirit. And ask God to help. Don't harden me, God. Help me be better. 
And it starts with us as adults, not your kids. You set the stage. You, 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 you want to be a great father for your family? It starts with you. Get on your knees and repent. Show what it looks like to be a man of God, not an image of what this world portrays, but a man who goes to God and says, I want to follow you, and I want my family to follow you, and I want to set the example. But you don't have to wait for somebody else to start doing that because it's a call to all of us. Amen? He goes on in verse 26. Earlier he says this. Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Jesus taught this too. He taught this too. Paul never said we can't be angry or that we shouldn't be angry. In fact, God himself was angry in scripture at times. Jesus himself got angry on various occasions from flipping over things that were defiling his father's house. And if you look into that further, because he was so caught up with it's supposed to be an opportunity for people who are Gentiles to, to interact with God. And here they are making it about the market and sales. It's not about God and holiness and what the temple was about. And so Jesus is like, you're keeping people from my father. That's not what this is about. And he had anger towards that, right? Paul says, don't get angry. But rather said, be angry and do not sin. Do not sin. He accepted angry as an, uh, anger as a legitimate emotional response to being sinned against. But he also warned us to be careful not to accept or empower anger that comes from sin. That problem with bitterness in our hearts and in our relationships, we are functioning out of anger. Because we never forgave, we never asked for repentance, we never reconciled relationships, so we're just functioning and everything is going from anger to anger to anger to anger to anger, and things mount up, they mount up, they mount up, and then it's like, where do we even go from here? Where do we even start? Okay? I don't know who I'm talking to, I'm just preaching. I don't know about, maybe one-fifth of you, but I'm still going to preach. Instead, he tells us to harness the energy of our anger towards righteousness rather than let it fuel our descent into clamor, slander, and malice. And he says to not let the sun go down on our wrath. Let me just say some truth we need to hear. We've let the sun go down on a lot of our anger. And our relationships are our consequence of not obeying Scripture and setting the stage for coming to the place of asking for forgiveness. And I would say it starts with, do you appreciate the forgiveness God has already given you? If you appreciate grace, if you know, I never deserved it in the first place, then you learn to be able to give grace away because you never should have got grace. You want to fight for what you deserve? It's hell. But God offered you by dying on that cross to take your penalty so you can be right with the Father. He offers you the opportunity to be forgiven and to be right with a holy God, that which righteousness we did not deserve. It was Jesus' perfect life that allowed for us to be right with the Father. And guess what? We're a bunch of unperfect people, and we're going to have to give some grace to people because we didn't deserve it, so how dare we not try to give it as best we can and under safe conditions, which I will get to. So we are, no, we are not to let anger rule us and set up 
camp in our souls, but rather take our anger to God and by the power of the Holy Spirit seek, uh, seek to deal in a just way with the wrongs committed against us. Paul exhorts us to urgently deal with our anger and not even wait a day to address it. Failure to do so, he said, grieves the Holy Spirit who desires and is able to help us work through our anger and bitterness. And hear me on this, so Satan doesn't have a foothold in your soul. So Satan doesn't have a foothold in your soul. Don't let the anger go down and the sun go down and not deal with it because you're giving Satan a foothold into your soul, into your family, into your relationships. And we've been losing a lot of these things. And at some point, we got to stop letting Satan win and reign in our relationships. What does it take to say this isn't working? It's not working. Even if we got to start over and it's a long, slow process, where it is not working. Foothold, Satan. Again, if you feel like if I looked at my relationships and my family and it's more bitter, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice versus what's offered by the Holy Spirit for believers, love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, what, what does it look more like when you go home? Because we got to build what the Spirit wants to build, but we got to do it the right way, dealing with conflict dealing with our bitterness, dealing with forgiveness, for us to create the environments that we need in our homes that we can have with the Holy Spirit's power and with the Word of God being practically lived out. Amen? Amen. I told you this wasn't going to be easy. Let me remind you of the song you sang. I'm just going to remind you at this moment. There's nothing that our God can't do. Did you sing that with me? Hey, teen, sing it with me. Sing, the, sing, that, sing that chorus. There's nothing that our God can do. There's nothing that, that yeah. can do. Oh, praise the name. There's nothing that our God can do. There we go. So, we sang the song, we believe it, God can do miracles. That's my hope. When I put this together, was thinking about what to preach. I had like many transcripts, and then Sean made it easy. He said, you're preaching Friday. I was like, oh, okay, so we're going to start with forgiveness. And then it's like, okay, well, let's finish this sermon then. And that's what God was doing. God had a plan. And so I'm saying to you all right now, there's nothing that God can't do. I don't care what the relationship is. I don't know. I don't care how dark it is, how hard it is, how many times you got to get on your knees first to God and say, I'm sorry, God. Because it's not about winning a battle right now. It's about going to God and asking God to forgive you first and figuring out what does it mean to start this relationship where it needed to start from the beginning. Where do we have to ask for forgiveness first? Because if it starts with the other person and you forgive, then I'll deal with my problems. Never works. Start with you. Bring it to the cross. Ask God for forgiveness and ask him to give you the strength to ask for forgiveness for the things we've said, things we've done, the bitterness in our heart that we've let spewed onto people all over when it was our sin that we were harming people with. We own that. Own that. You can't change the other person, but maybe 
If God gets a hold of you, you'll be the catalyst in your family for change. And it can start with little ones, not the adults. Either way around, God might move a mountain in any of it, and it would be great if it was in all of it. Amen? Seven things forgiveness is, and I'll end with these practical things for us. Because I have in mind, I want you to taste the power of experiencing radical power of forgiveness, what that looks like. You may not be the same as Stephen being murdered by Paul. It may not be as powerful as that kind of forgiveness, but it still may be in your life as powerful for you to think, no way God could move this mountain. No way there could be forgiveness in this relationship. Do you believe in God? The Holy Spirit reside in you? Do you love the Bible? Do you have faith? I can't speak to someone who's lost and could care less about anything about the Bible. I really can't speak to someone who doesn't believe along the lines of me. But if you believe what I believe, forgiveness can take place, and it starts with you believing that. I mean, he changed your heart. You accepted Christ. He can do it. So forgiveness is. Forgiveness is canceling a debt owed to you. You relinquish your right to make them repay that debt. Isn't that some stories and some parables? Now, there's some debt that could have been owed, and then the master says, you don't owe any of that. And then there's some stories of the master said, you don't owe any of that. And then they went to the people that owed them, and they were like, pay. And the master's like, hold on. I forgave you way more. And then you went to them and expected them to pay? Some of us do that in our relationships. God has forgiven us much, but we won't forgive you any. That's what I meant by did you appreciate the forgiveness that God gave you? Forgiveness only starts from you knowing how filthy of a sinner you were, and God forgave you, and he teaches us to forgive others because of what he's done. It's, a, it's an act of worship. What you've done for me, I will do for others. Amen? Secondly, forgiveness is removing the control your offender has over you. You free them from their debt to you, but also emotionally free yourself from them. Man, listen, there's some cases of situations where you're forgiving somebody that you'll never talk to again. They abused you. They harmed you. They hurt you. They hurt you in ways that has rattled your entire life and your family. Okay? You can forgive someone so you don't grow bitter even if that means that person and you may never be around each other again. That may be locked away in prison forever. But you can still emotionally release and forgive something that's been done so that you don't consider, you don't continue to hold on to that pain. You can radically forgive even if it's not going to be a person around you. And I got other things to say. We're touching on tough territory here. But the reason we forgive a lot of times is we emotionally can't take the bitterness that's doing in our soul, and we just have to say, God, I'm done. I let it go. You're the God. You're going to judge them, not me. So I, I'm done with this holding on to things that have made me so upset and so bitter and hurt me so bad. I'm letting it go. You let it go for you sometimes in forgiveness. You understand what I'm saying? So you aren't in chains because of what's been done. You release that to God. He's the judge, and he's going to judge every one of us. He's a just God. He's also a God of wrath, and you release it to him. 
I'm going to plead the blood of Jesus when I stand before him. I don't know about you. That's what I'm doing. But I release him to be God over everybody else. Thirdly, forgiveness is given, is giving a gift to your offender and yourself. It's a gift. Just like the gift of eternal life is a free gift that God gives that we have to choose, giving forgiveness is a gift. Sometimes people don't deserve that gift. In our minds, you don't deserve that gift, but God taught me to give a gift of forgiveness that they don't deserve. It's not about right or wrong at this moment. Sometimes it's about, I'm going to give you something you don't deserve. Because when God gave me the gift of eternal life, I did not deserve it. He just forgave me. And he turned me into a worshiping soul that wants to follow him. And I want to emulate his life by giving forgiveness. That's a gift that not every time they deserve. Instead of making you pay for everything you've done, sometimes we can just say, hey, it's okay. I forgive you. We're good. We'll move forward. Let's move forward. And I'm talking maybe even small things. It's a gift, right? We are all sinners and we all make mistakes. Thank God that sometimes people give grace to each other and don't hold everybody to every standard in their brains of what they deserve. Fourthly, forgiveness is forsaking revenge. When we forgive, we rise above them by grace and leave them again, as I said, to a perfect and holy God, as Romans 12, 19 says. Forsaking revenge. You're right, and this is behind me, the verse is behind me. You're right, maybe people deserve a bullet to their head, but you choose to leave that revenge to God. And that's hard to do. Sometimes, guys, we want to fix stuff. We want to fix it now. And there's consequences for everything we try to do to fix things. Sometimes we have to release things to God Almighty. He will take revenge. That's not something we're supposed to do. We're supposed to move forward, love what we can, do what we can to fix as best we can, but sometimes this is the hardest part. But God is the ultimate judge. Vengeance is his. Number five, forgiveness is leaving ultimate justice in God's hands. And I just said that a little bit. Six, forgiveness is often an ongoing process. Manipulators like to say, you're a Christian. You're supposed to forgive. Ah, no. Forgiveness is a process. I can forgive on some things immediately. We don't need to talk about it. Forgiveness doesn't mean your behavior continues. Or if I'm in an unsafe relationship, it continues as is. Forgiveness is a process. And if you are repentant, you want to be part of that process. You want to say I'm sorry. And sorry means I need to show you I'm sorry. And I will change. And I have changed. And I will do my best to show you that I'm going to change. Manipulators say, you're a Christian. You're supposed to forgive. Now you're going to forgive me on my terms. It's not how that works. Don't let people manipulate you. Ask God about this process, and the process should be clear. A person is repentant, not throwing religion words in your face, showing the heart of God in their life by their actual steps of repentance. And it's a process. And as they enter into a process and they are striving and changing, hey, there's going to be hiccups here and there. But because you see them trying, you're much more likely to say, hey, Grace, I understand you don't change all your bad habits tomorrow. You don't change all the way you've been living and all the bitterness you've been holding on to for years and years. That doesn't just stop because someone said forgive. 
It takes time. And God wants us to have the hearts of giving people that gift and the opportunity. But forgiveness is a process. And I acknowledge that, and it's dangerous for anyone else not to say that. It is not a free reign to say, you must forgive and just act like nothing happened to people who are abusive and will hurt you, have hurt you, will continuing to hurt you. You must let there be common sense in a process. If you can reconcile, and some part of that if of reconcile is, this person's not changing. They're not repenting. They're just saying sorry. Nothing's changing. I can't reconcile with you because you're actually not repentant. Amen? Hey, ladies who are in abusive relationships or even guys, this is what I'm talking about. You can forgive, but you got you to gotta pay attention to signs of repentance too. Don't let people abuse you by throwing religious words in your face that isn't a heart change. God has called us to heart change. Our reflection of repentance will show in action. Amen? Seven, forgiveness is wanting good for your offender. This is hard. In forgiving our offenders, we change from wanting them to suffer to pay and pay to wanting them to repent and change by God's grace. Hmm. Pray for your offender. Where does that come from? Did Jesus not tell us to pray for our enemies? Did he not say to do good to people as if you're even heaping coals on their head even when they're your enemy? Well, do we just, you know, Jesus, that's good for you, not for me. Well, everything we've been talking about is immolating Jesus. This is hard. But I think your true gift of allowing someone to truly enter into forgiveness is when you start praying for them. I've turned my heart from wanting the worst for you, the wrath for you, death for you, and now I'm bitter. You see, the more you're like, I want you to hurt, is the more you're bitter, you're bitter, you're bitter. Why we release ourselves from things that we're not in control of, God is the one who's gonna judge everybody, is so we can get our emotions out of this dark place. And we can move towards, I'm going to pray for even an enemy. I pray for good for them. I pray for you to change their lives. I pray that they are no longer the monsters that they were to me. Man, when we're doing that kind of stuff, it's radical forgiveness, people. Right? That's what we need to do. That's who we need to be. Forgiveness is not, forgiveness is not denying that sin occurred or diminishing its evil, okay? People have to be accountable for the things they've done. And you may not be the law, you may not be able to prove this or prove that, but you as a person cannot deny that sin occurred. And one of the biggest signs is that a person you cannot get reconciliation with or forgiveness with or from is when they deny they've done anything wrong. How do you even begin the process? of reconciling a relationship when one party says, I've done nothing wrong, you're the only one that's done anything wrong. Let me tell you from a pastor, you can't save that marriage. You can't help that relationship. Why did I start my whole sermon with saying it starts with you? If you all know there's some tensions in your family and in your relationships or in your relationships with your spouse or even in your kids, it doesn't start with the other person. It never works that way. It starts with you owning and asking God for the Holy Spirit to show you how you've hurt people. 
Okay, let me teach you something. Instead of having to be defensive every time someone's telling you what they feel, what they heard, be the bigger person and just listen. Just shush for a second. It's not a, no one wins when everyone's warring. Just listen to their heart. Hear them out. Pray to God about what part of this is true, what part of this isn't true. You don't have to own everything that a person says, but maybe something in there is truthful. And the Holy Spirit might say, in your mind what you said is right, but you were angry and your tone was demented. You, you looked at them like you're a nothing, nobody. And it no longer was what you were talking about. It's how you talked to them. It's the evil that was happening in the way you spoke. And if you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he'll tell you the truth of what's going on in your heart and how your heart was the issue even when addressing what you thought was the issue. Amen? I know it's getting taxing. I promise it's almost done. Forgiveness is not denying that sin occurred or diminishing its evil. Forgiveness is not enabling sin. Not enabling sin, meaning allowing offenders to remain stuck in their cycle of sinning. We can forgive while still being truthful about somebody's behavior. Forgiveness is not enabling sin. Not allowing offenders to remain in what they're doing that's offending you. That's when manipulators throw, you're supposed to forgive in your face. No, 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 no. We don't have to enable sin by forgiving. You stay away from a person who has no repentance, no signs of repentance, will not change. You protect yourself from an abuser. Amen? It says you reconcile if you can. We have as Christians the ministry of reconciliation, but we cannot reconcile with everybody. Some people there is no ability to reconcile. And that's okay. We offer a gift, but when we see that there's nothing but going to consistently be a cycle of mistreatment, done with it. That's on you and God, unless you have an utter heart change. Okay? Listen, I've had to walk away from some important relationships in my life. I'll just tell you practically that there's a person in my life that is a very important person in my life in terms of my family unit, that right now the relationship is nothing right now. But it's on that person at any point that they want to return to that relationship, that they can. But it's going to be with some boundaries that are going to be respected because too much damage and too much harm has happened. And if you can come back, I don't need you to even say sorry, but you're not going to manipulate what's been going on. Okay? My stance is you can come back and we can start over. But what we're not going to do is do the same behavior. And what we're not going to do is act like nothing happened. We can start over because I want a relationship. I want to forgive. I want to keep that gift there, but I'm not going to let you harm me or my family. Okay? I'm just getting real with you. That's where this stuff becomes truth and how you don't get hurt by religious terms when you don't understand there's more to forgiveness in a process. And you are very well capable of entering into that. I believe we need to offer that gift, but I think we have to be careful depending on whom I'm talking about or what happened. That's why you can't just preach a sermon like this and just say, Boom, forgive everybody. Sounds good. See you later. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. We need to be careful, be mindful of a process. Forgiveness is not necessarily a response to, to a repentant apology. We are to forgive whether there is an omission of guilt or not. Christianity is unique in this way. As other religion or major world religions teach that you cannot forgive someone who hasn't apologized. But we are different in that. You can forgive someone who won't even repent. 
doesn't mean you can reconcile. doesn't mean your relationship is going to be good. But you can repent. You can forgive somebody who hasn't chosen to repent. You can choose to forgive. Because again, some of forgiveness is for you to emotionally get away from that bitterness. You've got to be, you've got to free yourself from that and move and walk in grace. And once again, be able to forgive other people. We need to once again be able to forgive other people who've wronged us and not keep all that energy of all this bitterness because these people won't repent, they won't change. You just be done with it, man. Get that, in, get that energy off you and walk in grace and freedom and let people who are coming in not be, oh, I see signs like this person again. No, 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 no. Treat everybody individually, okay? Just giving you the answers that help you with that maybe. Forgive, forgiveness is not covering up sin committed against us. It's not covering up sin committed against us. Fifthly, forgiveness is not forgetting. To demand that somebody completely forgive without re- remembering that he or she has, and I could say some crazy things, beaten, abused, betrayed, or any other array of sinful actions is to demand the impossible and add burden. Forgiveness is not forgetting. It's impossible to forget some things people have done to you. It's impossible. If a person comes, you're supposed to forgive, right? Jesus forgave as far as the east is from the west. Jesus doesn't ever forgive. He may choose to treat you as if he forgives, but he's God Almighty. And that's a crazy thing to say. You were abused for years, and you're supposed to act like never happened. You're forgiven. That's not practical. That's not even accomplishable. You can choose to have a relationship with someone as if you don't remember, as best you can, but it's an impossible thing to say you can't remember everything. You probably might. There's some people that may never get over what's happened. It's ingrained in their brain. It's changed who they are, depending on what we're talking about. But you can forgive somebody and try to have a new relationship as if they didn't, treating them like they didn't. But it doesn't mean you don't forget. It doesn't mean you're not going to have red alerts if signs start coming back, right? I'm just being honest with you. Forgiveness is not forgetting. And forgiveness is not trust. Because forgiveness takes a moment, but trust is built over time. Over time. Hey, you came in with some damaged relationships. It's not going to start over today. It's not going to start over tomorrow. There's no kumbaya to make this all just go away. Forgiveness and trust is earned. I trust you now because of the length of time in which you have been repentant and how you pursued trying to say, I'm sorry. Now I believe there's something really going on and I'm going to let my guard down and try to trust you again. Try to trust you again. And slowly, hopefully, it's easier and easier and easier because that person has proven themselves to be more trustworthy. Amen? That's important. Don't let someone say, forgive. It's... Forgiveness and trust are different things, and it may take time. And be sensitive to that. And finally, forgiveness is not reconciliation. Reconciliation takes both parties. Both parties have to come to a table already willing to admit their sin to God and to you for there to be reconciliation. Forgiveness is the beginning of potential reconciliation, but not in and of itself reconciliation. 
Forgiveness is the beginning of reconciliation. Reconciliation is a process and it takes time. It takes trust. It takes forgiving this person. It takes a process of just seeing that this person is genuine and there's repentance and there's a pattern of continued repentance. The behaviors have changed. And then there might be actually a healthy, strong, reconciled family relationship. That's beautiful. And that is when you look back and you see how bad it was and we sang a song, God can move mountains. There's nothing that our God can't do. It's right, but it takes a lot of people who are believers repenting of themselves, dying of themselves to make that relationship have a chance for forgiveness to take place, for trust to be earned, and for reconciliation to actually happen. And that's not what happens when you say, I'm sorry, now we're reconciled. No, no, no. Sometimes take a long time to heal. A lot of hurts to heal. And please hear me when I said what I said. A lot of listening. A lot of listening. Not being defensive. Everything you say, I've got a mountain of other things to say. You don't care. You're not listening. Sometimes we have to humble ourselves to listen. And then we hope that that person will also listen. So everybody can be heard. And there can be, an, there can be a beginning of how do we let God help us actually forgive and mend relationships. That is a work of the Holy Spirit and God and life change. Amen? Amen. So I don't know at this point what anybody here has come into this place with. And I'm speaking to my church people. I'm talking to people right here as congregation members, as, as people who just came on retreat, people who are families coming in. I just know this. My identity as I am forgiven. Students, do you guys believe you've been forgiven? Adults, do you believe you've been forgiven? Well, folks, I don't know what God needs to do in your family, in your heart, in your relationships, at your homes, in your workplaces, in your family, in your intimate relationships, in your relationships with your kids, cousins, I don't know. But what I know is God wants reconciling amongst his people. We're supposed to be the light of the world. Examples of what it looks like to be godly families, godly people, godly relationships, godly people. And that takes a whole lot of God doing a work in our hearts. But I want to do what I said in the very beginning of appreciating his grace and his kindness because I was sinful. And he found me in my sin and my muck in my mirror. And he offered me the free gift of eternal life. That while I was still his enemy, he offered me the free gift of eternal life and offered forgiveness. And didn't just leave me there. He offered the Holy Spirit to come into my life and not leave me as is, to clean me up, to become more like him. And it's time to get back on that road of the Holy Spirit cleaning us up to be who he's called us to be. And it starts with doing what God already did for us. I am forgiven, and now I want to forgive others and pray for God to do a work only he can do, even reconcile the worst and hardest of relationships that take us from bitter, malice, slanderous, to peace, joy, kindness, goodness, full of the Spirit versus full of our sinful flesh. 
Thank you for listening to the First Baptist Victoria podcast. If you want more, please check us out at fbcvictoria.org. There you can learn more about us, watch our archived sermon, or watch us live at 10.30 a.m. Central Time. Again, that's fbcvictoria.org.